This is the fourth Sunday, the fourth message, where we're hearing the voice of God. We thank God for John Pastor Fender's message on Palm Sunday, when he shared with us the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. God spoke powerfully that the king was coming into uh, Jerusalem in prophecy, uh, in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. And Pastor Williams spoke on Sunday evening from Matthew 26, Christ before the Sanhedrin, and how he bore uh, uh, the blame, and he stood trial, and even as he fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy, he opened not his mouth. And Pastor Phillips last night spoke from Matthew chapter 27, Christ before Pilate in fulfillment again of Isaiah's prophecy. And tonight, again, we will hear the voice of God. The voice of God from the cross and the voice of God in answer to Jesus' prayer in the splitting of rocks, splitting of the temple curtain, and the raising of the dead. Here's the immediate context before we get into uh, the reading of uh, our text tonight. After undergoing pre-crucifixion uh, torture, Christ was made to carry the crossbeam of his cross to uh, the place of his crucifixion. The text tells us that Jesus could not finish the task because of his beating and his fatigue. And Simon took up his cross. Christ was crucified at nine in the morning on that Friday. Mark records it as the third hour. Between him, two thieves hung. It took six hours for Christ to die. He was offered wine mixed with gall, and that would serve as a as an anesthetic, but he refused to drink it. His clothes, in fulfillment of prophecy, were divided amongst the soldiers. Passerbyers hurled insults at him, mocked him. The robbers on either side joined in the insults. At midday, darkness came over all the land, and at three o'clock in the afternoon, he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And soon after, he uttered another cry, It is finished. And he bowed his head and died. I invite you to follow along in your program as I read Matthew 27 and listen again to God as he speaks to us through the word. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. 
And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see what Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake which had taken place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Shall we pray? Almighty God and loving Father, you spoke on that night where, on that night we call Good Friday, you spoke powerfully through Jesus Christ. You spoke powerfully through the events that followed. And Father, we pray that you would speak again through your word. Let not your voice be silent, silenced through the preaching of this text tonight. Let us see Christ exalted. And as he's exalted, draw us unto him, we pray, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus prayed, asking the Father to show. The Bible history tells us that there were seven phrases that Jesus uttered. Before I read these phrases, I wanted to read a historic account from Lucius Aeneas Seneca. He was a Roman philosopher who wrote during the first century, and he was talking about uh, crucifixion, and this is what he said. Can anyone be found who would prefer wasting away in pain, dying limb by limb, or letting out his life drop by drop, rather than expiring once for all? Can any man be found willing to be fastened to the accursed tree, long, sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly tumors on his chest and shoulders, and draw the breath of life amid long, drawn-out agony. I read that to you because as I say these words that Christ said on the cross, I want to remind you that while he was on the cross, it was not easy for him to say these words. He would labor in his breath to have enough oxygen to say these words. And listen to what Jesus said. He said, woman, to Mary, woman, behold your son. Behold your mother, he said to John. And on another occasion, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And then on another occasion, as he communicated to the thief on the cross, he said, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, I thirst. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And among the statements that Jesus made on the cross, many were directed to the crowds, even as they taunted him and his prayer of forgiveness was directed at the cross. But there was one prayer in particular when Jesus cried out, Why have you forsaken me? That I believe he was asking the Father at that moment, Show why you are forsaking me. Some historians will tell us that Jesus possibly said this because he was confused, he was in pain, and he felt a, a sense of abandonment from God. Others will say because of the delirious pain he was in, he was not thinking correctly, he could not think clearly, and so he cried out in desperation to God. Now, with some others, tend to think that Jesus, in his zeal for the honor of his Father and the purpose of redemption, wanted the purpose of Christ's death to be so clear that he cried out to the Father, right now, show, show why you were forsaking me. And I think that because not only was he quoting Psalm 22, but also prior to, the, to this event, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed, My Father, if it, is, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. That Jesus knew the cost of atonement. He knew that he would bear the Father's wrath on our account. He was aware that the suffering would be more than physical, that there would be a spiritual component where the wrath of God would bear on him so that it would appear that God was forsaking him. Yet we know that in Isaiah, Isaiah tells us that it was the will of the Father, it pleased the Father that the Son was in this position that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit knew and agreed that this moment would happen. I think Jesus, I know Jesus prepared his disciples for this hour. In John 12, 
23 to 33, Jesus spends time telling his disciples that uh, he would die, that he would uh, suffer and be raised again. So when Christ prayed to the Father, show why you are forsaken me. I want you to notice in the text, in verse 51, two English words are, and behold. Those words were written there to tell us that immediately after Jesus prayed, after he died, he bowed his head, immediately God answered his prayer. And the Bible tells us, I'll read verse 51 again. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Let me tell you about the significance of the curtain. The curtain that uh, the Matthew was talking about was the curtain in the temple. It was a curtain that separated uh, the congregation from the holy holiest of holies, the place only the high priest could go once a year to offer sacrifice. It was a place where uh, the people of God understood that God resided, and that temp, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And I love the way that God did this. He did not rip it from bottom to top so that other people would say, well, it was an earthly it was a, a normal, it, it had to occur during the uh, um, earthquake, something, something happened. No, it, it ripped from top to bottom, and it was as if God said to his people that he was removing the barrier between them and him. Now, when we think about a barrier makes it sound like God moved, that he changed his affection for his people and he went elsewhere. But the Bible tells us that it was our sin that caused the barrier between us and God. And we moved in affection away from God. And our sin kept us away from the Holy One of Israel. And God, in his mercy, could have allowed that separation to continue. But the death of Jesus Christ was the means by which God tore open that curtain. In uh, the writer of Hebrews, in chapter 9, wrote this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For, the writer says, if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And the writer to the Hebrews says most clearly that the death of Jesus Christ was effective, that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross did more than something on that Palestine afternoon, that his sacrifice entered into the halls of heaven, and he offered himself before God, and God saw that and accepted that sacrifice. And we know because God split that curtain. There's another passage in Hebrews that I have to read to you. It is a magnificent passage. It tells us that because Christ entered into that place once for all, at one time, and his death was so effective that we have access to God, that the splitting on the curtain means that we now can come to the Father. Listen to this. Hebrews 10, verses 19 and following uh, reads, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance and faith. I love that. I love how the writer to the Hebrews said that it was through the curtain of his flesh that he allows us to draw near because it reminds me on that good Friday afternoon when Jesus uttered his last words that the curtain was ripped and was ripped to signify that the, the barrier between God and man was removed through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. Paul testifies this in 1 Timothy when he said, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. If you remember only one thing this evening, Remember that the barrier between you and God has been destroyed through Jesus Christ. And that barrier will, no, will never exist again. That you have access through Christ. If he has forgiven your sins, you have access before the Father. And he delights in you. There was something else that happened. The Bible says that the earth shook and the rocks were split. That is a powerful message that the redemption of Jesus Christ affects not only our salvation, but he began the restoration of the world. Paul tells us that the creation is groaning, waiting for the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. The rock splitting reminds us that Christ's death affects the whole cosmos, the whole universe, that God will make all things new. 
Listen to Colossians 1.20. Paul writes, And through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus Christ. God was telling us as he allowed that earthquake to shake and the rocks to split that he was redeeming. He was keeping his promise that he he gave in Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, 15, that a redeemer would come and he would destroy the power of the curse. And that is done in Jesus Christ. And I I would submit to you, that that would be enough. But Jesus did something else. God did something else that Matthew records. Matthew was the only one who records this last event. And starting with verse 52. Uh, And as I read it, I remind you that this event occurred after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That after the resurrection of Christ, people were raised from the dead. But Matthew puts it here. And I think Matthew puts it here because he wants us to connect that to the death of Jesus Christ. And listen to what Matthew says. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And let me tell you that, uh, biblically speaking, the word saint is a specific term. Uh, The sacred writers would refer to followers of Jesus Christ as saints. He would call the people of, they would call the people of God saints. Uh, So the people who uh, were raised were believers, were followers of Christ. And I submit to you that that is an unquestionably powerful statement of the power of the death of Jesus Christ. And that even those of us, those of us, I'm talking about myself, with a very simple mind and imagination can get it. That the dead are no longer dead, but the death of Jesus Christ brings life. And not just physical life, eternal life, spiritual life. That the worst that evil and the evil one can do to us is reversed through Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip ahead. Uh, Pastor Heron will tell us this on Sunday, and if you would uh, permit me, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and refer to the resurrection because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, That if Christ were not raised, then our faith is in vain. And we should be, of all men, most pitied. But Christ is alive. Do you know what the proof was? All over Jerusalem, people saw from out of the tomb loved ones 
who were alive again. People saw them. It was a testimony of the power of Christ. God spoke powerfully that day and the days to follow that the death of Jesus Christ was significant and powerful and effective. God spoke through the death of Christ and he speaks today. He tells us that that death is not just a past occurrence. We visit this every Good Friday not only because it was the most significant event in the course of history, but also because the death of Christ makes a difference in how we live today. Our lives have purpose and meaning, and we belong to the Father, and we are joined to one another because of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. This evening, for the disciples, Good Friday was not good. It um, signaled for them the death of their leader. I'm not sure how much they understood. I know they were told But if they were like many of us are, we don't always hear what we're told. And the hope of a new kingdom was probably crushed for some of them. But for the rest of us who know the the rest of the story, that death was victorious. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in a moment, it reminds us, there's a phrase that Paul uses. He says that uh, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim or you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. We celebrate over and over again because the death of Christ brings life. And we know that Because on the third day, we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I invite you, as we eat and drink this cup tonight, that we would proclaim together that the death of Christ was not a waste. The death of Christ was an incredibly powerful and effective. And the death of Christ has meaning even this evening. Shall we pray? Almighty God and loving Father, we thank you for the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in this meal that we will share the meal we call the Lord's Supper, we find all the benefits of Christ represented in this sacred meal. We acknowledge that the death of Jesus has secured for us an eternal inheritance. We, we eat this meal looking forward to the second coming of Christ. 
even as we rest in the promise of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.